Mark chapter 8. Are you there? Let's, uh, let's look at Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 29. Jesus asked, Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and then he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Jesus is coming to the end of his public ministry. And and just as in the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus' adversary, Satan, is present, attempting to derail him in his mission. Satan means adversary. He's the opponent. He's the enemy. Jesus is the truth. Satan is the lie. And the lie has always opposed the truth. In that 40 days of fasting and praying and testing in the wilderness, Satan tries to convince Jesus then, even before his public ministry began, that there was an easier way. Remember his temptations. You you have the power to turn these stones into bread. You don't have to suffer. There's an easier way. Remember, he he took him up to the highest point of the temple and and, and said, you you throw yourself down from here. It'll be really cool. You just at the last minute call all the angels of heaven and, and they will catch you before you smash against the ground. And that'll be a spectacle. Everybody will come running and they'll follow you. They'll follow you wherever you go. You don't have to suffer. There's an easier way. Better yet, Satan says, you just bow down to me right now. And I'll, I'll give you everything. You don't have to suffer. There's an easier way. Satan is pretty slick at making easier look better, isn't he? But Satan is a liar. He is the enemy of righteousness and the adversary to the truth. So when Jesus hears Peter, one of the twelve, and a clear leader among the twelve, say, Jesus, you don't have to suffer. 
there's an easier way. Jesus knows he's heard that voice before. That voice is the voice of the adversary of of truth, adversary to truth. And his response to to Peter is, is bold and direct. Get behind me, Satan. Peter had just proclaimed, you're the Messiah. Right? He had just proclaimed that, and Jesus didn't deny it. So when Jesus says that he must suffer many things and be rejected and and killed, Peter speaks up. He thinks, uh, apparently, Jesus doesn't only need me to identify him. He needs me to tell him what that identity is, what that role means. Jesus, uh, you've got this all wrong. We all see your power, and with power like that, who can ever defeat you? You will be the conqueror. You will be the king. You don't need to suffer. Peter is denying the truth. And it won't be the last time Peter will deny the capital T truth. Our reality is we often deny the truth when the truth is painful. We often deny big T truth. We often deny Jesus when the truth is painful. We don't take suffering easily. Suffering is a human concern. It is like the major, it is the human concern. We don't like to suffer. That concerns us. When Satan wanted Job to curse God and die, he tempted him with suffering. When Satan wanted Jesus to deny his identity and bow down and worship the adversary, the lure was the elimination of suffering. When Satan wanted to turn his disciples away from Jesus and his mission and and derail them, he used suffering. Suffering is a human concern. And, And I am convinced that the number one reason people lose out on life in Christ is because they resist the suffering that comes in following Christ. Isn't that true? And Jesus explains to Peter and any other adversary that might be present... You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You know, if, if all your concerns are human, you'll avoid pain to the point of missing the purposes of God. And worse than that, you'll find yourself siding with the adversary, with Satan. But I can, I can totally understand Peter's rebuke. I can totally understand it. Peter is that, that kind of, uh, he's always kind of a spokesman for the disciples. So you just kind of pick that up. Don't you pick that up? Peter is, is that one that is always saying what everybody else maybe is thinking. He's always the one putting his foot on the mouth, but it's because he's the one who's opening his mouth. I wonder, have you ever thought like Peter was thinking? I think I can relate to Peter's thinking. 
I, I agree to follow you because I was pretty sure you'd make my life better, Jesus. With all that power of yours, I'll, I'll never have to struggle in life again. You can provide bread for the hungry. You can calm every one of my storms. You can even raise the dead to life. There's nothing you can't do. I committed to follow you because I anticipated you have the power to give me an easier life. If you're, if you're honest with yourself, maybe that's where your journey began with Jesus. Maybe it was you were in the, the pits of despair. Maybe you were thinking, I, I don't know my way out of here. Jesus, you can help. And he did. And you followed him. He made your life better. He gave you life. But just because he's given you life may not mean that all of the suffering has been removed. It could have been that early on you said, Jesus, I'll I'll sacrifice a little. I'll sacrifice my my Sunday mornings for you, Jesus. I'll sacrifice in in trying to turn away from my bad habits. I'll, I'll read a verse or two in Scripture every day, Jesus. See my sacrifice? I'll start praying before meals and before bedtime. I'll, I'll do those things. I'll, I'll even give some of my hard-earned cash to the things that matter to you. We want to believe, and some even teach it, that if you sacrifice just a little, that you'll get a whole lot. And that sounds attractive, especially because all of us want it all for nothing, right? It's just kind of our nature. But when I sacrifice just a little, here's what I, here's what I know about myself. When I sacrifice just a little, I'm still in charge of a whole lot. That's probably not good. And the truth is, Jesus never invited us to sacrifice just a little. Rather, he says words like this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Follow me, Jesus said. Watch me, do what I do. None of Jesus' disciples began following him because they had a death wish. You agree with that? They followed him because they wished to be a part of, of Christ's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. But no one anticipated that Christ's kingdom would come through suffering. Not like this. We want life. We all want life. We just don't want to go the way of the cross to get it. But Jesus says, it's the only way. For whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. 
that there comes a point in every person's journey with Christ where we will be tempted to unfollow Jesus because we simply want easier. In every person's journey with Christ, there will come a crossroad. It's a place of decision. Will I go forward with Jesus even though it promises difficulty or will I exit here? If if you are currently following Jesus and you decide to unfollow Jesus, it will be at this point. It will be for this reason. It will be because you've decided, I want things easier. Okay? Know that. Know that now. When you come to that place, you have a decision to make. But what you must remember, and what, what Jesus says here, is life is only found on the other side of the cross. Life is only found on the other side of the cross. In this season of, of Lent, we are intently reminded where we're headed. We are journeying with Christ to the cross. But the cross is not the ultimate destination. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand this. Jesus told his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things. He's he's got to be rejected. He's going to be killed. And, remember what he said? And after three days be raised to life. That's the ultimate destination. The resurrection is the ultimate destination. The reason for Peter's rebuke of Jesus was because he failed to see past the pain. He couldn't comprehend that anything good could come from suffering. It's a guarantee that you will exit the journey with Christ at the crossroads of what's easy and what is suffering. If you fail to believe that true life is found, that ultimate victory is secured, that resurrection is realized on the other side of the cross. The cross is not the ultimate destination. Resurrection is the ultimate destination. But if we lose sight of that... The pain will derail us every time. We'll try to save ourselves. That's the great temptation. Save yourself. Wasn't that the the essence of the temptation in the wilderness? The the essence of Peter's rebuke. And even the very words that, that Jesus heard while he was on the cross. He heard those words, right? Save yourself. It's always a temptation when we come to the place of the cross to try to save ourselves. But Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. We don't save ourselves. You hear that this morning, right? We don't save ourselves. Satan would love for you to believe that you could save yourself. But there is only one Savior. 
But whoever loses their life for me, Jesus says, and for the gospel will save it. He's our only Savior. What exactly does it, what does it mean to give your life to Jesus? It means just that. Every bit of you. Every bit of you. Well, Jesus doesn't actually mean your life life, does he? Right? I think that we in the Western world have mostly taken Jesus' words of losing our life for him metaphorically. The disciples, though, didn't take it metaphorically, did they? Did they? And nearly every one of them gave their life, their life, their life life for Jesus. We already mentioned today people, people in Iran, people in China, people in other nations where, where the, the gospel, there's a great resistance. They are, they're being jailed. They are being killed. Churches are being mobbed. Everybody shot. That's happening today. When you sign up to follow Jesus in certain places like this, you sign up for suffering. They know it going in. Perhaps Jesus didn't intend for us to take it metaphorically either. The book of Revelation describes those at the great resurrection who did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. John Payton was a pastor of a growing church in Scotland near the, near the end of the 19th century who just could not escape this, this calling to go to a certain people group in, on an island in the Pacific. Twenty years earlier, two missionaries had gone to that island. And they were killed, and they were cannibalized. So it wasn't unusual that, that many of his friends and people in his congregation were, were saying, Pastor Peyton, you can't, you can't go there. He wrote that there was one particular elderly gentleman in his congregation that insisted, and every time he talked with him about it, said these words, the cannibals, you'll be eaten by cannibals. He wrote later his response to this gentleman. He said, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. Wow. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. There's a man who understood life after the cross. John Payton did travel to that island with his wife. 
And the journey wasn't easy. His wife and newborn child died within months after arriving. He had to dig their graves with his own hands. But in the years to come, countless cannibals came to know Christ. And John Payton's work inspired the church to greater missionary efforts to similar people groups. One of those that he inspired was, was a few years later. Jim Elliott, in, in the mid-20th century, had, had a similar story that ended differently. Many of you know Jim Elliott's story. He was called to a people who had never heard the gospel, but were known for killing any and every outsider that came to their land. He and four other men were making progress, they thought, in, in, in developing rapport and relationship with them. But then there was that fateful day, January 8, 1956, on the beaches where they were met with spears and all of them were killed. And we could ask, should, should Jim Elliot have listened to all of those that tried to dissuade him? You can't, you can't go to that people group. They'll kill you. Some of you know the rest of the story there. His wife, Elizabeth, went back to those people. And they saw grace that they had never seen before. And she led those very men that speared her husband to a faith in Christ. And now Christ is known among that land. Six years before, Jim Elliot literally gave his life in Christ's mission. He wrote these words in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Each of these came up to a crossroads. They had to make a decision. Will I try to save my life and lose what God has for me? Or will I lose my life for Jesus and the gospel in a confidence that Christ will raise my life and reward me in the great resurrection? I don't know what cross God will call you to. I don't know what cross He'll call me to bear. But you and I can be assured that following Jesus doesn't simply require a few minor adjustments to the way we are living. Following Jesus demands a cross. And whatever the cross, hear this this morning, whatever the cross, it is worth it. It's worth it. Jesus said, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
Can you really put a price on your soul's eternity? Really? Could you? I mean, anybody who would put a price on their soul is wrongly valuing earthly rewards over eternal rewards. That's the essence of it, right? The 12 disciples each had their crosses to bear. And we hear of many other stories beyond them. The Apostle Paul had his cross to bear. But he says these words in Romans 8.18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There's no comparison. But what price do you put on that? It's worth it. Francis Chan has, has helped me to understand really how, how, this, how this reward, this, this resurrection that is coming helps us in this. He says it like this. He, he says, if someone were to punch you in the arm for 30 seconds, you would really be irritated at them. But if they said, I'll give you a million dollars if you let me punch you in the arm for 30 seconds, you'd gladly take it. Right? As they're punching you, you might even have a smirk on your face anticipating that reward of the million dollars. He says nothing has changed as far as the pain goes. The pain is still the same. The only thing that's changed is there's a reward for the pain. There's a reward for your pain. There's a reward for your suffering. Do we live with an anticipation of our reward? If we don't, when we come to the crossroads in our life, we will skip the way of the cross and take the way that appears to be easier. What tempts you to deny Christ? Is there anything that you know of that tempts you to deny Christ? If things were different, if if this would happen, then, well, I might deny Christ. Can you let your thoughts go there? It might be a helpful exercise. Because whatever you name that thing that, that, that might cause you to deny Christ, whatever you name it, its name is idolatry, right? It's placing a greater value on it than on your Savior and Lord. And this might sound harsh, okay? But, but we've already said that sometimes we deny the truth because the truth is painful. Don't deny the truth. Jesus, the capital T, truth, says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. The disciples were coming up to a crossroads. And sometimes it's difficult to see past the cross. Will it really be worth it? Can I really trust God in this? Is my obedience to God really that important? Thankfully, followers of Christ have been given a little glimpse of what is on the other side of the cross. 
Jesus was, was trying to help his disciples understand. The Son of Man is going to suffer many things. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be killed. And on the third day, rise again. Their earthly perspective was, was thick. Is your earthly perspective thick? Is it, is it hard to see past the suffering? But Jesus says again, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Yes, <laughs> yes they did. Judas was the only one of the twelve who didn't get to see past the cross. The others got to witness the kingdom of God come with power when Christ was raised to life. Wow! In the same way, if we don't shrink back when we get an image of the cross, we must bear. If, if we can follow Christ to the cross, then we will follow Him in a resurrection. Paul talks about relates it to our baptism. If, if we've been baptized with Christ, then we will also be raised with Christ. Baptism is this expression of a covenant between God and an individual. Baptism is a covenant that we do our part to give every part of ourselves fully to God and to His mission, to the death. And it rehearses God's part in the covenant. To raise us to life. Both spiritually and physically on the great and glorious day of resurrection. Praise His name. I'm going to ask Pastor Mark to, to come as we, as we wrap up. During this Lenten season... We have journeyed to the cross, and we, we get that. We journey to the cross. But for us who know the story, we know the story goes beyond Good Friday, don't we? That's why we're still telling the story all these many years later. Because there's life after the cross. We can't help but recognize that the cross is not the ultimate destination. It is a critical piece in the story. We can't skip over the cross. We have to have the cross. Following Jesus demands that we carry a cross. But if we follow Christ, there will be suffering in the journey, but we cannot forget there is no suffering in the destination. There is no suffering in the destination. There is no suffering in the destination. Hear that today. Revelation gives us a description of life after those who are dead in Christ are resurrected. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. 
Are you at a crossroads? Can I encourage you to go ahead and take up your cross and follow Jesus? Don't don't take the exit plan. Not now. I've read recently this quote, and it's stuck with me. I love it. I think everyone in the church needs to to wrap themselves around this quote and live inside of this. Now, I don't know who came up with it exactly. I don't know if, even if it was a Christian. But I tell you what, it's only the Christian who can say this with confidence. Here it is. Everything will be right in the end. If everything isn't right, it isn't the end. You may be in the cross right now. But the end is resurrection. Everything will be right in the end. He's going to wipe every tear away. There will be no mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things will pass away. Everything will be right in the end. If it's not right, Well, hang on, because it's not the end. Hold on. Hold on. Keep following. Resurrection is impossible without the cross. That was Jesus' story, and that is our story. You may only see the cross now, but resurrection is your future. Are you at a crossroads? It's your decision to make. Will you follow? 